Welcome to the Teachers on Fire podcast, where I profile agents of growth and transformation in education today. Each guest shares their highs, their lows, their passions, their goals, and the resources that are shaping their thinking and inspiring their practice. For show notes and links from each episode, visit teachersonfire.net. You can also follow the show at Teachers on Fire on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Tim Cavey. Let's meet today's guest. Today, I'm speaking with Lisa Johnson. Lisa is an educator by day, blogger by night, and the author of Creatively Productive, Essential Skills for Tackling Time Wasters, Clearing the Clutter, and Succeeding in School and Life. Follow Lisa on Twitter at TechChef4U, on her website and blog at TechChef4U.com. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Are you ready to talk education? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about your current context? What does that look like for you? Sure. So I am housed in Austin, Texas. I, you know, I I love, I love our city. I love um, everything except for the heat right now. But um, (laughs) yeah, it's fantastic. And I've, I've lived in Texas many, many years. I work at Westlake High School. I we have about twenty seven hundred, almost almost three thousand students, and about two hundred and twenty teachers. And you know, it's it's fascinating because I'm my my job has actually changed a little bit over the years. So I came in as an educational technologist, and recently, as they do in many districts, they've kind of merged the position of the curriculum specialist with the ed tech. And so now we're educational partners. And so, yeah, I I support, um, my partner and I have kind of split down the middle. So I support English and science that way. We're not just, you know, like, oh, you're STEM, you're humanities. We can kind of, you know, collaborate on different things and, um, and fine arts. And then my partner kind of supports the other half and my role, you know, people always ask me like, well, what does your average day look like? And there's, there's definitely not an average day. Um, you know, there's all matter of different things from, you know, last week I was teaching parents about digital distractions or, you know, in a few weeks we're going to be doing a webinar for parents. I've been into our uh, career and technology and our mentorship classes and teaching them time management skills. Today we were working on um, a presentation we're going to be doing for our new teachers or new to profession teachers, uh, you know, planning tools, vetting tools, uh, helping we've, we've had some hacked students accounts so you know like helping with that or you know preparing for ios 13 um <laughs> you know creating infographics you know all it, it doesn't it's just kind of a smattering of all the things i guess well it sounds like a lot of moving parts there and certainly all of those different dynamics must combine to keep you on your toes and keep you at the top of your game So very interesting package you have going on, Lisa. Well, we start the show, if you are familiar with Teachers on Fire, by getting into a story time. So on that note, would you share with us, Lisa, about a low moment or an experience of adversity that you've faced somewhere in your teaching or education career, and then describe how you overcame it? Sure. Um, You know, Early on in my career, I'd say it's, you know, 2011, 2012, and I was working for a school district, and it was right around the time where, you know, we had websites. I was kind of new to the educational technology. I'd come from the classroom, and so I was kind of thinking ahead of, well, if I'm going to be blogging about things, and I want to kind of archive things and share things, 
what happens if I ever leave? You know, like where do, where do these things go? Um, and not only for me, but anybody else who is benefiting from these things. You know, a lot of times when you're in a school district and you're you know just using their tools, they'll shut down all of the accounts. So anything that you've built over the years is typically gone. Um, that's just kind of the, the nature of how those accounts work. And so, you know, at that time, I decided, well, I'd like to start blogging. And so I created a WordPress site, um, techchefforyou.com, and started blogging on that. And then I had a longer commute, so I was also doing a podcast. And I said, you know what, let's let's do this podcast. It was, and, and both of these things are relatively new for the district. They they didn't have people podcasting or blogging or, or doing any of these sort of things. Um, and, and with the podcast, you know, it was really just because I wanted another way to reach educators because I felt like, hey, I'm in the car for, you know, 45 minutes. I'm sure there are a lot of other people who are, and, and this would be a great way to talk about apps or, you know, have a conversation and meet, you know, other educators that maybe we're not meeting. And, and then I started hopping on Twitter and, and kind of connecting with educators, you know, in Texas and beyond. And I was brought in that, I guess, that second year. And, and it was just kind of like, what is this tech chef for you? And, and, and like, what are you doing? And at that time, you know, I've always been kind of anti-confrontational. Um, <laughs> and, and I was really, I was, I was really taken back. Um, you know, I was like, I'm not, I'm not running any ads. I'm not getting paid to do any of these things. And I'm spending, you know, my nights and weekends, like, adding all of these resources that are not only available for the campuses that I support, but also everybody, you know, beyond. And so that was really, that was tough. Um, I ended up kind of connecting with another school district and, and kind of hopping ship and, and actually moving on my entire family. And in hindsight, I wish that I had, I mean, I'm glad that I did that, but I wish that I had probably kind of had that conversation and really pushed the boundaries a little bit more rather than kind of finding you know, I think sometimes when when we're caught unawares or, you know, when we're trying to do things that are out of the box and, you know, rather than kind of standing up for what we believe, a lot of times we try to go find a group of people who are like-minded and really do want to do those things. And, and that's what I did. And and I, I have no regrets on that, but, you know, kind of looking back in hindsight and my being an, anti-confrontational now, you know, I really do wish that I kind of stood up for what I was doing because I, I wasn't doing anything wrong. And, you know, it's funny because now, you know, they do have blogs and they are encouraged to be on Twitter and like all of these things that I was trying to do six or seven years ago. So that, that's kind of the, the first thing. And then I'll, I'll just mention the other thing that's kind of been hard is with the merging of the positions anytime and and if you've ever been through that where you know you you've been downsized or or something's shifted you know in your career that's hard not not knowing if you're going to have a job the next year or you know not knowing you know if you feel like what you're doing is valued and so that that's been a kind of a tough decision of not decision, but but kind of tough journey of, of when they merged our positions because you know you're you're moving forward. You feel horrible for the people who weren't able to move forward and and, and might have lost a position. And then you know even though you know that every day you're doing what you feel like is right for your staff and for the students and and you know it, it's amazing that I have great leadership and it's amazing that I have a great team that I work with. But anytime that happens and kind of jobs are shifted and changed, 
it can be difficult. So both both of those things, as I was kind of thinking about that, resonated with me, and I wanted to share both of those stories. Well, thank you for sharing those. Both of those are taxing, let's say, in different ways, aren't they? And going back to that first experience, I wonder, I mean, and you may not have the answers because you can't necessarily read their minds, but what concerns did your district have, you know, as you said, six or seven years ago about you you know, creating and maintaining your blog and and doing these other efforts? Was it a sense of you're trying to, were they just concerned about you trying to build some kind of an entrepreneurial effort that would take away your time and energies? Or did they feel like you were, I don't know, selling it back to the school? Or can you expand a little further on how they articulated their concerns to you? Yeah, I mean, it was more that they said it was a rogue site. And I think their concerns at the time were that they had no control over what I was putting out into the edge sphere per se. Now, I mean, to be fair, if you're putting something out into the world and you want to keep your job and have a job in the future, one would not post anything that would be inappropriate or, you know, misconstrued. Um, but, but I think that was it. It's like, they, they didn't have control over that site. They couldn't shut it down. If I said something that, you know, may have been against, you know, district policy or, and, and that's why I even put in something, you know, like th- these opinions, th- these ideas are my own, um, they're available, you know, resources to anybody, but I, I just, I felt so strongly and I, Dean Shiresky had actually come to a tech and learning, I don't know, several years ago and he did a keynote and he was talking about how, you know, everything he did was public and sharing out and, and all of that. And it just, that kind of coincided with me wanting to do this and really feeling like there's no reason we need to be hoarding resources. And I think that was the other thing. A lot of districts, they'll hoard their ideas and their resources because, you know, whether they're trying to gain students or they're trying to keep those ideas, you know, contained within that district. And and, and while I, I get that, I understand kind of the curricular sort of nature of that and you're paying people, but at the same time, you know, like I, I felt so strongly that I wanted to share what we were doing, especially with iPads, because I started the blog right around the time that the, the first generation iPad came out. And there wasn't a whole lot out there of like, how are we using these in education? And I really wanted to document what my teachers were doing, as well as some ideas that I had, and and, and kind of get those ideas out. And so that seemed like the best course of action to be able to do that and to be able to have something that that lasted beyond my time there. And so that's, I think that was really what it was, is that they didn't have control over it. I mean, getting into your book a little bit as I have and hearing your heart, I just think, I'm sure you would agree that as educators, we all really should be creators, right? We should be creators and curators of knowledge. And it doesn't do any good to simply keep it at the school. Why not compile it in a place where we can always draw from it? And I know that gets into tricky spaces in terms of intellectual property rights and so forth. But I mean, my view would lean on the side of the educator that if you have gone to the work of creating content and putting things together, then you should be able to compile and and accumulate over time. So, I mean, in a sense, I would say that every educator really should have what you have, which is a blog or a website so that when you do move, you can still access it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was kind of the idea is I I never know, you know, I mean, this job, I've been here eight years now, I've never been 
you know, that long anywhere. And so you just don't know what the next chapter of your, you know, kind of life or professional life will be. And, and I just being able to kind of have that document all of the resources and and have access. And it's not that I, it's not that I'm taking them from anybody, you know, everybody still has access to them, you know, in the greater edgesphere, as well as any of the school districts that I left, I would always provide them, you know, with any editable copies, or it would be in Google Docs, or, you know, Google Drive, or, or any of those sort of things, I would highly recommend anytime you're kind of transitioning to make sure that everybody knows kind of where the where the cheese is, per se. But yeah, I mean, I just, it's like, it's like my brain in the cloud. I mean, kind of having, having all of those resources, and, and kind of the you know, I was telling Casey Bells, like, I like, I like to write about something one time in a blog post, and then like, not write about that particular topic again. So it's like an entire brain dump, I've encapsulated it, it's there kind of like, you know, in the apothecary, you know, like, it's it's on the shelf, it's there, anybody can take it down and do something with it. And then I'm going to look at the next object, the next one, and the next one, and the next one. And that's just kind of how that works for blogging for me. And, and I've been really happy that, you know, I was mentioning earlier with Dean Shiresky that he he did kind of mention that and it just kind of turned that that fire on for you really do need to be able to share publicly and, you know, prolifically as much as you can. Well, all of that connects really well with a quote that I took from your book in the early stages where you wrote, we must start seeing the world in gradients. To do that, we must embrace the practices, processes, and pedagogies that are the best for our students, regardless of the tools we choose to use. So Lisa, when I hear you say uh, talking about blogging about something once, fully exploring that concept and then moving on, and, and that post sort of stands for some time as your thoughts on an issue or on a strategy or an approach, that makes so much sense because you are not necessarily dealing on the micro. I mean, you're very talented and skilled at the micro, but you're also looking at technology and its uses and applications on a macro level as well. And that's one thing I've really come to appreciate about your book. So let's talk about creatively productive essential skills for tackling time wasters, clearing the clutter and succeeding in school and life. How can any educator not love this title? Lisa, would you share with us the heart and mission of the book? Why did you write it? And what can educators expect to get from it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, as I kind of mentioned, you know, I've I've always had this passion to be able to create content. So I, I have a master's in curriculum and instruction. And when I was in the classroom, even before I got my master's, it was, I was noticing that the things that I, I really loved were be able to create content either for other teachers or for my students that they were able to use and that that was really made the learning more accessible for them. And, and so that's, my heart's always been able kind of in the, the ability to, and, and the need to create, but also the whole thing about tech chef for you and, and, and why I do all of those things is the idea of, I want to be able to create or cook up resources that anybody can kind of take those recipes and adapt and they need to be practical. They shouldn't be something that is, you know, entirely theoretical. It should be something that you, you know, could take back and go, okay, well, she built that in Keynote, but I can totally do it here. Or that's a great idea for time management. You know, I'm going to share out these two or three resources and kind of pick and choose. So I do work with secondary students um, as well as staff. And, you know, I, I focus a lot on college and career readiness skills, as well as social emotional learning, because I think they're so, you know, tied together. And 
ever since I was young, I've, I've loved to curate. I, I love, you know, I have scrapbooks and, you know, two inch binders since I was, I don't know, in elementary. <laughs> and, and then, you know, even, even when Pinterest came out, I was like, yes. <laughs> um, so I, I've kind of just been watching, you know, our students and, and watching those kind of trends emerge. And what I'm finding is, you know, the, the pendulum of, you know, technology and, and, and social media and all of these things that are relatively new in, in kind of the grand scheme of things that we're finding that students don't have the skills like to note taking or digital organization or goal setting or habit tracking or, you know, those self-management and those kind of executive functioning skills that they so desperately need to be successful with the core curriculum and to be successful in life. And so, you know, in, in doing that and kind of everything in the book is something that I've, you know, found useful that somebody else has found useful that I've, you know, used with students or staff or somebody like that. And, you know, there's different activities that we've done. I work a lot with our librarians. I love librarians. I mean, I love everybody, but I love, <laughs> I love librarians because they have all the books. Um, right. But, you know, we'll do, we'll do lunch and learns in the library with students and and just kind of seeing how engaged and interested and and how much they really want to focus on these things as well. And, you know, the idea of tackling distractions or, you know, how are they managing their time or how are they organizing or how are they goal setting and habit tracking and, and kind of all of those sort of things. So that that's kind of really where my heart was when I when I was writing the book was just I wanted to share all of those resources in a way that anybody could pick up any chapter of the book and say, you know what, I want to learn about time management. And they could pull out resources. The other thing that I did with the book, it's, it's separated. Um, it's like 3.1a, 3.2a, 3.2b, because I want it to be really easy for people to kind of almost like a Wikipedia. It's like, I wanted you to be able to find things very easily. And I don't think there's a one size fits all approach to any of these sort of things. I think everybody kind of has their own flair and, you know, the, the way that they do things, especially with executive functioning skills and, and self-management skills and things like that. And so there's a lot of variety to there because of that. You know, it's not just like, hey, you're going to solve this problem this way or, you know, you're going to do this particular thing only this way. There, there isn't a one size fits all. There's not a, just a one way to manage your time. And so there are a lot of different resources intended because, you know, one thing may not work for your students or one thing may work really well for you. And so I kind of wanted to provide you with a lot of different things. And, and yeah, that's just, I, I love, I love being able to kind of curate all of those resources into, into one place and be able to share it out with people and, and have those, you know, both analog and digital resources available to them. Well, you've got a ton of applicable strategies and ideas and approaches for students, for educators and for students. And I love that, you know, I entered the profession, Lisa, back in the in the dark ages of the 1990s, or no, I should say the early 2000s. And, you know, at that time, I was dealing with seventh and eighth graders who would stuff all of their notes and resources for the whole year into binders, and they wouldn't go into their right sections, and there would be papers all over their locker and that was all a mess. And so moving into one-to-one -one environments, it seemed like a blessing to have everything sort of run through Google Classroom in our case. But you're putting your finger on something that I think is, is missed sometimes. And that is that our students still need that help, don't they? They still need coaching in terms of curation and organization and 
and proper labeling and putting things in places and, and knowing how to retrieve things. I mean, on one micro level, I've noticed that my eighth graders don't necessarily know how to use their calendar or they aren't necessarily figuring out how to check their to-do list in Google Classroom. They aren't very good at naming files. You know, a lot of times they'll work for an hour or two on a file without even giving it a name. And so all of these things, starting from the real basics, we need to be continuing to teach them and coach them on. Yeah, I mean, I, I 100% agree. I mean, every, everything that I've, I've written in there is not just like, Lisa has a lot of thoughts and feelings on, you know, and opinions on organization. I mean, it, it's because I've seen it, right. you know, I've seen our students where I would ask them, you know, I talked to our freshmen, how many of you know that you can set reminders in Google Calendar? It was like 20%. <laughs> like, they just, you know, it's like, we, we give them these tools. And it's like, okay, well, you have a calendar, it's associated with Google Classroom, go. Unless, you know, they they just were so inclined to start clicking on buttons, um, you know, they, they just don't know. Same thing with Notability, which is kind of the tool that we use to uh, organize digital, you know, PDFs and things like that. You know, sure, you can search things, but, you know, there's also only so much time in the day. And if you don't know exactly, you know, what word, I mean, search searches are definitely getting better. They really are. Um, you know, now we have, you know, OCR searches where, you know, I can take a picture of something and it'll pull the text from the picture. So like, yeah, I mean, things are definitely getting better, but I'm an adult and I'll tell you, I've lost documents several times where I was like, I don't know, guys, let's, <laughs> what did we name that? Do we name it agenda? Did we name it? Um, you know, do we star that one? Do we color code it? Right. You know, so I mean, I think, and, and even portfolios, like that's a whole nother thing, because what you mentioned earlier about the whole analog, you know, in, in the olden days, and it wasn't that long ago, um, we did, we had binders and we brought everything back and we may or may not have put it in a box and it may or may not ended up in the garage. But, and you know, unless something happened to the garage, like it's still there. <laughs> yeah. Whereas, you know, if a kid leaves the district or a kid graduates and they don't take any action to share out, you know, or, or do something with those documents or, or anything that they've created, it's, it's gone. And so that's the other thing that I work with our seniors on is like, how do you, we use Google takeout um, to kind of pull everything down, but you may not care about these essays now, but you may. And, and the thing is, you've got a window of maybe four or five weeks to make the decision for the rest of your life. Do you want access to, you know, something you did in your K through 12 career? So I think just having those conversations with students is, is, is really important. And I've noticed that, you know, it's just it's not something that's obvious as as we might think. Lisa, we're going to move on, but can I get into the micro of the G Suite for a second with you? Yeah, go for it. I still think so many educators have not really picked up on the availability and accessibility of Google Tasks, Keep, and Calendar right there in the side of Google Docs. I think those three icons are so incredibly powerful. That's kind of my soapbox. You know about so many other apps and utilities that I am I'm miles behind you, Lisa. But, <laughs> but I think even just starting with Google Tasks and Keep and Calendar, keeping those three available and checking in with those three from time to time is a bit of a game changer for me, at least. And so that's part of my evangelism, I guess, around my school is, hey, make use of those powerful apps. No, I agree. I mean, Google Keep was something that I was sharing with um, our juniors. And, and some of our seniors when I was talking to them about time management, because, 
it's already there, you know, and, and everything they can do with the audio and the checklists. And, you know, I love color coding and labeling, so that's nice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a powerful tool. And, and I would say the vast majority of them had no idea that it existed. Same thing with our freshmen, but, but it was interesting when we did all of our stations, that was their absolute favorite app. Hmm. Was Google Keep? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, granted, it was like Google Keep and Notability and some other things, so they weren't like the most riveting of apps. But um, <laughs> it wasn't like we were, you know, hanging out with iMovie or you know, strip designer puppet pals or anything. But um, yeah, I mean, they loved Google Keep. They they felt like it was such a great tool for organization. Well, and and then we get into the you know, it, it, if it's working across platforms, and and if your high schoolers can access the same all the same resources on their phones. I mean, they all have a phone in their pocket, so that just adds to the power. And I'm assuming Notability, uh, you mentioned that your school or district uses Notability, and obviously it, it must be accessible from any platform, and I think that's that's a key as well. Well, Lisa, you are the, the guru on creativity and productivity, and Honestly, I thought I loved this space until I ran into you and your stuff, and now I realize I know nothing. So I am going to stay connected to you. But Lisa, <laughs> looking elsewhere, as you look across your PLN and your own practice, what else is setting you on fire about education today? You know, I, I love time management, obviously, and productivity and things like that. I just finished a blog post um, actually on kind of all the time management hacks that I've been sharing with students and tips and tools. Uh, something else that is just kind of really important. And I think we need to have this conversation with students, especially with what's happening in the news, is just being really careful about what you post on social media. You may not remember something you post when you're 16 or when you're 13, but um, the internet seems to remember it and um, dig it up and share it. And I know that, you know, all of us out there, you know, God only knows what would have happened if somebody, you know, dug through everything that we did and, and every poor choice we made or, 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 you know, something that we said when we were in high school or middle school or something like that. And so I, something that's really, really important to me, and it's something that we're having, you know, conversations with our students about is just being really aware and, and aware of what you're posting online and, and how it might be perceived. Hmm. That's great advice. We definitely know that kids are being turned away from colleges based on what they've posted in the past. And as a landlord myself, I know I rely on social media and just whatever Google offers in terms of helping me to screen applicants. So I think that's really sound and, and relevant advice, especially for our seniors. Lisa, how are you looking to grow professionally and improve your practice next year? Can you share about a specific professional goal or a project that you are currently working on? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I was listening to Alicia Ray and on one of your, I think it was podcast number 88, and, and both of us love to read. And so that was kind of, I, I love listening to kind of her thoughts and feelings on how she does that. So I I keep a reader's notebook. It's it's something that I've been doing. You know, it, it's funny if if I really had to look back, and I think it's interesting that we don't change that much from kind of the things that we love when we're children. So even when I was a little kid, I would jot down quotes that I loved, or I would keep little odd and end, you know, things like that in scrapbooking. And so having an actual analog reader's notebook over the past four or five years has just been it gets cathartic. I love what I'm doing. I love sharing those things out. And what I was finding was I would highlight my book. I would, you know, go put the book back on the shelf. And then I, I wouldn't really do the the actionable things that I needed to do. And so 
doing this whole reader's notebook, it, it's forcing me to kind of go through the book again and, and look at the things that were meaningful to me. And, you know, whether they be, you know, quotes that inspired me that were serendipitous or, you know, different pieces of research or, or practices or ideas or whatever those are, but, but actually taking a moment and slowing down and, and writing those things down, but then also sharing them on social media has, has just, it, it's been, it's been awesome. I really love doing it. And I, I just feel like, it's, it's just been such a cool creative sort of experience for me. And I love being able to share about that process because I feel like it's been so impactful for me. Well, I just love that you rely on analog sources and, and resources and you're still writing things down because you are so gifted and skilled in the ed tech area and you have access and you're, you have familiarity with such a wide variety of tools and yet you're still in the notebook. And so speaking to my last guest, Dr. JC Maslick, it's the same kind of idea. There's just some good cognitive, familiar things happening there. And so you haven't let those go yet. I know for myself, I was a, a very late adopter of the Kindle, Lisa, and you know I, I resisted for a long, long time. But one thing that has really won me over is that all of my highlights in my Kindle show up in my Goodreads account, and from there I can tweet them out and share them out. And and that archival feature has has been a game changer for me. So I like what you're saying about going through the highlights and digesting them further. And I, I think that process is so incredibly valuable. Don't you find that the the things that you're reading just resonate that much deeper once you've had a chance to, as we said, digest them, share them, maybe write and reflect further about them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and you know, just even going back, you know, when I was writing the second book, you know, I took all of those journals and I would flip through and I was like, oh, this is perfect to share or this is, you know, because it's kind of all in one spot and, and it's, you know, chronological and I've got everything there. I have all the page numbers for everything. I mean, if I took all of the books that I encapsulated to put into Creatively Productive, I mean, I'd be carrying like a chest around with me. Like it's just, <laughs> it's not, you know, like it's not, it's not reasonable. But, you know, having those journals, like you can carry one or two journals around with you pretty easily and kind of go through them or, you know, Goodreads or something like that. You know, I think that's, I think just the idea that you're going back and looking at those things again, right. rather than just kind of shel you know, shelving and tabling those ideas, whether you do it in analog or digital, I don't think it matters, but um, analog is my preference for that. Very cool. So Lisa, I'm intrigued by this idea of the reader's notebook. Could you unpack that a little bit more for us? Tell us what that looks like. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if you've ever saw um, Book Bento. So the idea of a Book Bento and, and kind of what I'm doing and also um, is the idea that I'll, I'll read a book and whether it be fiction or nonfiction, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. I, I do this with both of them. And I will kind of try to recreate the cover in my journal. So, you know, similar colors. I'll also, I'll pull ephemera, which is, you know, old stickers or old pieces of paper or just anything that kind of might embody the symbolism that, you know, of a character or something. It's almost like I'm kind of bringing sketchnoting and, you know, kind of the scrapbooking together, if that makes sense. Um, I don't, I don't buy, I don't buy stickers and things like that specifically for a book. I'll just buy stickers that have a lot of different images or, or things like that, that I can kind of pull from. And so I love it because I'm making connections, right. you know, with, and, and when I look back of it, it's just, it's, it's such a fun experience to do. So yes. So after that, I'll write in 
um, a lexicon library. So any words or phrases that I just, I was like, ooh, I like, you know, that word or that was a really cool idea. Um, any quotes I'll add in there. And then I'll also keep kind of like a running list if it's a nonfiction book of research that I might want to go back to or, you know, kind of dive deeper in. And so I'll just kind of have a list of things like that. But yeah, I mean, depending on the book, if it's a fiction book, then typically, you know, I don't, I don't take as many notes on it. So I might only have one or two, maybe three or four pages in my notebook. And again, you know, I've got like washi tape and stickers and all kinds of different things. And then if it's a nonfiction book, it could be, you know, 20 pages of notes. It just depends on, you know, what, what type of, you know, quotes or ideas or things like that are are kind of there. So I will mention all of these are on my Instagram, the note chef for you, because obviously their notes, um, <laughs> not as much technology on my Instagram. Um, but, but yeah, so, so those are all there and that's kind of how I share those out. And, and I'll, I'll talk about my process in that since I've been doing that, I've seen, you know, kind of other students who have tried those ideas and, and they really like kind of playing around with that art form. So yeah, it's, it's fun. I, I really enjoy it. And I think that a reader's notebook should be fun. I don't think it should be a chore. Right. And that's something you, that's kind of one of my questions. That's something you would suggest integrating into a literacy classroom? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm actually doing some sessions on it um, for uh, librarians. I've done sessions for librarians as well um, and English teachers on that very idea. I mean, now granted, you could take the idea of analog and turn this into digital. So for example, you could do something with Google Slides or Google Docs and, you know, hey, when, when you're creating these things, Pay attention to the colors that you choose. Pay attention to the fonts that you choose. Pay attention to the emojis that you choose or images because all of those should have meaning and should be purposefully chosen to represent the book. So it's not just like you're writing about it. Every element kind of feeds into the overall purpose of the book and and overall intent, whether it be the setting or the mood or the tone or or whatever it is. Um, I, I kind of, the whole idea of kind of dual coding. So you're blending that text and those visuals together. That is fascinating stuff. Wow. Okay. We need to move on, but I love the reader's notebook. I'm going to be stalking or or creeping your Instagram account just a little bit. Um, (laughs) Lisa, share with us about a personal habit or a productivity hack. This is right in your wheelhouse. What is it that contributes to your success and, and helps you to get it all done? Okay. So I love my passion planner. Um, I am not paid by Passion Planner. <laughs> um, let, let that be known. But I am on my, I think, my fourth year of Passion Planner. And, you know, I, I, I've said this many times. Like, honestly, if I didn't have my planner, I, I just, I might as well not get out of bed. Because I, I don't I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing that day. I don't have my lists. I don't have my priorities. Um, in that planner, I keep a lot of, like, I'll keep my macro list of, like, everything I need to do for, you know, my boys and, and all that sort of stuff. But then I'll also have like sub, you know, kind of micro lists. So if I'm working on a project, then it might be, okay, I need to research this. I need to email this person. I need to do, you know, all of these things for that particular thing. So I, I also, I mean, as you know, I love to scrapbook. I think I've mentioned that a few times. Um, <laughs> as a, a mother of two boys, I don't have time to scrapbook. That is just, or it's just not the time to do those sort of things anymore. So I get my fix um, by, I bought a Polaroid zip printer, 
which basically will print out uh, photos from my phone, which let's face it, most of us, that's the only device that we're taking photos on. And, you know, so that week I'll just go back and I'll say, okay, what were, you know, kind of the important photos from the week or, you know, weekend or whatever it is. And I'll print them out. That particular printer um, prints out on sticky back. So they actually print out as stickers, which is awesome. That is awesome. And, and so it's, it's nice because I look back, you know, I think, I think sometimes we just go through life and, and, and it's just like, oh, wow, I didn't realize like, we, you know, we're poor historians of things. And it's like, oh, I didn't realize we, we had a great we had a great week. Like, oh, we did this and this and this, you know, and, and, and you know, the kids, they, they grow up quickly. And, and I'm a mother of a preteen, which has its um, moments, but uh, a preteen boy, that is, which has its moments. Um, but I think just kind of that idea of reflecting on the good things and, and having the gratitude of that and, and kind of having it all in one place. So my, my planner like becomes this just I don't know. It's just like an, an extension of me. I just, I absolutely love it. Um, I have on Instagram, I do have a video kind of walkthrough of what I do and I, I will share kind of pictures and things like that of it. And, and so, you know, you can kind of check those out there. All right. That's another, another point for me to check out on note chef for you on Instagram. Make sure you're following Lisa there. And you know, Lisa, I think you are touching on a, another point that really resonates because I hear people talk about the Facebook flashbacks and, and be so grateful for that. And I've realized it's because we never go back purposefully intentionally to look at some of the great highlights of our lives. And so we, you know, it's kind of sad that we have to rely on Facebook to do that for us. But, <laughs> but I love the idea of printing out these. Well, I was going to say too, up. I mean, I think the issue is, you know, we used to be able to print out, you know, our 24 photos and put them in an album. And now, you know, we take 24 po- photos of like the same pose. We don't print out any of those anymore. And, you know, you might share a few, but like, where are the rest of them going? Like, what are we actually doing with them? Right. Right. What is your photo syncing app of choice? Shutterfly. Oh, interesting. Okay. Just before we continue, I do want to share an important message from the Teach Better team. Are you looking to reach more students, innovate your instruction, and teach better? Then join the Teach Better team on November 8th and 9th in Northeast Ohio for the first ever Teach Better conference. Join dynamic educators such as Dave Burgess, Tall Tal Thompson, Adam Welcome, and many more. Register now at teachbetterconference.com. When you do, be sure to use discount code FIRE50 to save $50 on either of the two-day registration options. Are you ready to be better? All right, Lisa, it's time for your quick picks, the education voices and resources that are shaping your practice and inspiring your thinking today. So starting at Twitter, tell us about someone we should follow there and share why they've been inspiring you lately. Yeah, so I love Julie Smith. She is at JG Techie Teacher, um, the techieteacher.net. She, I just, I love her personality. I love all of the color that, you know, she puts in her posts. And, you know, she's just constantly sharing like new tips and tools. One of the most recent ones I kind of discovered was the Wheel of Names, which is, you know, pretty much what it is. Um, <laughs> but it's a spinner. You can add pictures to it, all kinds of cool stuff. Next, Lisa, point us to an ed tech tool that you currently love using somewhere in your professional practice. And, you know, I usually drop this question in. You've mentioned quite a few good ones. Is there another one that you'd like to mention here? Yeah, absolutely. So it's called Equity Maps. And I think it's either free or $1.99. It is only an app. But if you were going to purchase it, um, there's an in-app purchase. You'd only have to have one of them for your classroom. What's really cool about it is, and I learned about it kind of at one of the 
Apple events. I was talking to some teachers there. Um, so if you are doing classroom discussions, you basically set up your classroom. So you have, you know, every kid has a name and they have, you know, boy, girl, whatever, however you want to set that up. And you just say start. And then you basically tap on the icon and it tracks the entire conversation. So what's really interesting is you have data of like who talked to who, how long each student talked, you know, who interrupted who, you know, were the boys talking more than the girls. And so it's just, it's a really cool tool to be able to get that kind of data during classroom discussions and to really be mindful of, you know, maybe the students that didn't get a chance to talk or, you know, being mindful of your own, you know, how you're monitoring the discussion. So it's a, it's a cool app. I think you probably have to pay the $10 to get all of the features, but um, it would be a one-time purchase because you only need it for one um, iPad. That sounds amazing. Recommend one book, Lisa, one that you've been reading lately, or maybe one of your all-time faves and tell us why you recommend it. You know, I'm just going to tell you that this question is like crazy hard. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's it's really hard. I'm going to tell you right now, just because I've been obsessed with these two authors. Colleen Hoover is amazing. I read Verity, which is not, um, both of these are all, these are all fiction books right now for you, but um, I read Verity. And it was not at all what I thought it would be. And I really don't like reading kind of a suspense genre, but it was amazing. And I literally read it in three hours and I could not put it down. So that one was amazing. I'm going to add one more because I cannot choose one book. Um, Anna Todd, her entire after series is like Wuthering Heights mates Pride and Prejudice. So if you like that sort of thing, which I loved. Um, she's got an amazing story too, because she actually started out as fan fiction and then it blew up on Wattpad and has had like a billion reads. So I got to meet her at an event. Actually, I had to meet both Colleen Hoover and Anna Todd at Book Bonanza in Dallas, which was amazing. And I, you know, I love kind of supplementing my nonfiction EDU reads with like fiction and YA and things like that. So um, you can't go wrong with either of those authors. Sounds good. And then are you a podcast listener? If you are, tell us about what you've got in your deck and what we need to subscribe to. Yeah. So I do have a shorter commute than I used to. Um, so, and, and I have the boys in the car. So we've actually been listening to a lot of um, audiobooks and things like that, James Patterson and whatnot. But um, when I do have time to listen to podcasts, I was listening to Changing the Narrative with Michael Hernandez. It's fantastic. I think he's on season two now. And he's just got an amazing, I love the audio and, you know, the audio editing and just kind of the topics that he's sharing are fantastic. Uh, Casey Bell's The Shake Up Learning one is also fantastic. And then I have actually been, um, we, we have a bunch of speakers that come in to our and speak with our parents. And so what I've been doing is basically taking those video versions of the talks and turning them into podcasts. They are the Healthy Shaps, C-H-A-P-S, and they've got some amazing topics like life purpose, a key to well-being, academic success, and college admissions. That one was fantastic, by the way. Um, how teaching your teen self-compassion beats self-esteem every time parenting a perfectionist child. I am that perfectionist child. So that podcast was amazing to listen to. Um, so yeah, I, any, any of those are fantastic. Tell us about a YouTube channel, Lisa, that you enjoy and explain why. Sure. Uh, the Passion Planner. This is <laughs> not, go, not going to be, too, to be very surprising to anybody, but 
um, they, they put out these great videos, like they put out short videos. And I think it's just so fascinating to understand kind of the inner workings of how people manage their time and they organize, you know, both analog and, and kind of digital space in their case, analog space. But um, so they just talk about productivity hacks. They'll, you know, kind of trade how they organize this. How do you organize your day? What are different things that you're doing? What are your you know ways that you manage your habits? And so I just I think it's just kind of fascinating. They're short videos, which is great. Uh, you could definitely share them with students. They'd be you know totally appropriate. But yeah, that's that's kind of the one I really love. The last question, Lisa, is just for fun. What are you watching on Netflix right now? Oh my goodness, I'm obsessed with Glow. It is amazing. Um, it was the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. One of my friends turned me on to it. I didn't know this was an actual show back in the day. Um, it would not have been something that I would have been like, yes, absolutely. But I have just been sucked in. It is fantastic. The script writing is great. I love that it actually existed. Although, again, I maybe I wasn't up at 10 p.m. on Fridays or 2 a.m. on Fridays to watch the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. But seriously, it's fantastic. There's three seasons. Well, that's a lot of fun. Lisa, this has been amazing. And I feel like on so many of these topics, I'd like to dig in deeper, but I've already taken way too much of your time. For those interested in your message, that mix of creativity and productivity, what are the best ways for the listeners to follow you and get in touch? Yeah, so on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, Pinterest, and all of those, I'm Tech Chef, and then number four, letter U. On Instagram, if those are the kind of things you want to see, then I'm note chef number four, letter U. And also a lot of the things that we've been talking about, like templates and tools and blog posts and things like that. I, I have a lot of resources for the book that are uh, available for you, whether you decide to buy the book or not. So they are available on my website, techchef number four, letter U.com. And then it's forward slash, I can't even speak tonight, forward slash books, forward slash creatively productive. And there's tons of things that you can download for free, all kinds of resources, books, videos, um, handouts, blog posts, things like that. And yeah, so that's kind of where everything is. And then on Twitter and on Instagram, um, there's a hashtag creatively productive. So you can kind of see some of those resources. And, and if there's something that kind of resonated with you and, and, and you want to share out, please use that hashtag and then I'll um, kind of get to see it and, and be able to connect with you. Well, that sounds great, Lisa. Again, I just want to thank you so much for generously sharing your time with the podcast today. This has been enlightening and inspiring for me personally, and I know for many in my audience as well. So keep doing what you're doing. Keep sharing great content. I'm so glad you're in a district that appreciates what you are doing and, and adding to the education conversation. Take care and let's talk again soon. Yeah, thank you for having me, Tim. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me today here on the Teachers on Fire podcast. For show notes and links from this episode, visit teachersonfire.net. You can also follow the show at Teachers on Fire on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And again, please do subscribe to the show wherever you are listening right now. Before we sign off today, I'd like to share highlights from around the Teachers on Fire community this week. First stop, Twitter, where Bonnie Neves at Biology Goddess tweeted, 
quote, at Teachers on Fire is my favorite new listen this year, end quote. She attached a flaming heart gif, and I have to say, Bonnie, this was my tweet of the week. Amazing support. Thank you so, so much. Next, Chris Woods at Daily Stem quoted at Dr. JC Maslick from my last episode by tweeting, quote, what do you do as an adult that is your creative outlet? Find that one creative thing and share it with your students. Who knows which student is sitting in your classroom that's going to connect with your creativity and spark their creative interest. I love that quote too, Chris. Bob Bednar at B. Bednar wrote, quote, Thank you, Tim, for your encouragement and inspiration with your podcast. I look forward to your next 100 episodes. And thank you, Bob, for the consistent support there on Twitter. Love it so much. Next, Dr. Christine Ho, young husband, at Christine YH, tweeted, quote, okay, late to listen. This is amazing. Resonates with me as an educator, but also resonates with the messages I share with teacher candidates at Education UNBC, hashtag EDUC431, hashtag EdTech. Thank you at Nancy Fry and at Mr. KB and at Teachers on Fire. Awesome professional learning from home. Hashtag UNBCED. And of course, Christine was referring there to my episode with Nancy Fry. She was phenomenal, and you'll recognize her from Corwin Publishing and Visible Learning. And then next on Twitter, Brian Carpenter at Brian Carr tweeted, Hashtag Fresh Air at 5, Chili 7.5 kilometers. Enjoyed hearing at Dr. JC Maslick in episode 102 on At Teachers on Fire discuss this era of innovation and how maker and creativity are making a difference for students. I see it at Abbey Virtual. Then I heard episode 142 of Teach on Teach Strong podcast about well-being. Hashtag balance LAP. Well, Brian, thank you for that support. And I have to say, I, I don't know if I'm familiar with that last podcast. I will have to DM you for the link, or I guess I can always just take a look for it in my podcast player. Right now, I'm keeping all of my education podcasts in CastBox. That's my player of choice right now. Well, I had a little bit more fun on Twitter. I want to highlight two tweets in particular that got a ton of reaction, and it really was a lot of fun. Just yesterday, I tweeted out a poll as I did my own house chores around here. I tweeted, hi, teachers, how do you roll on Saturdays? And I gave three choices. A, no schoolwork at all. B, lots of schoolwork. And C, productive but personal. And as of tonight, one day later, I had 125 votes on the poll and in the lead was productive but personal with 54% of the vote. And I'll leave that up for the full week. So if you do have a strong opinion there, go ahead and make that known. But it looks like productive but personal is going to take the win on that one. And then from a couple of days ago, I filmed a short video clip right there in my classroom and I tweeted three questions for you about your professional learning journey. Number one, what are you learning? Number two, how is it going? And number three, 
where are you going next? And I have to say, I was amazed with the responses I got. There were too many from educators to read here. That would just drag the podcast out far, far too long. But I did engage with many of them, replied to as many as I possibly could. And I do plan to share your ideas and responses with my students. And I'm excited about being able to show them that educators are learning and setting learning goals themselves. That's what it is all about. So thank you so much for the replies, interaction, retweets, tweets, likes, and everything else on Twitter. Thank you so much. You were the fuel to my fire this week, and I possibly had too much fun on Twitter, but there was a lot of learning happening, and I was fascinated by so many of your comments. Attention education bloggers and readers of blogs, I hope by now you've heard that I've launched a new podcast called the Teacher Blogs Podcast. That's a podcast for teachers who have more time to listen to blog posts than to read them. The mission of this podcast is to amplify the voices of education writers that are seen, read, but need to be heard. This week, I only managed to get out one episode, and that was a post by Janelle McLaughlin in episode 32, and this post was called Called five ways to build a healthy culture and make sure to give that one a listen janelle can be followed on twitter at ms underscore mac4 speaking of blogs i will also invite you to check out the teachers on fire magazine on medium this week was a quiet week over there as well we featured just one post this one written by the legendary caitlin giordano at mrs underscore giordano she wrote a piece called the impact of teachers who care and this is a deeply personal reflection back from her own school career her own school experiences, I guess I would say. And I'll give you this excerpt, quote, I graduated high school 10 years ago and I still remember with perfect clarity the impact my teachers had on me. Without them, I wouldn't have become the teacher or woman that I am now. Without their care in one of the most trying seasons of my life, I may not have found success, happiness, or myself, end quote. Thank you so much for that piece, Caitlin. Make sure to check that one out on Medium. And if you're wondering what in the world is Medium, Medium can be found on medium.com or on the Medium app, and that's available on any mobile platform. If you're already an education blogger, consider joining our growing writing team there. You can continue to publish content on your own blog, and you keep full credit and ownership of your content on Medium. Message me at Teachers on Fire on any social media platform for more details. We'd love to have you. Well, I will leave you with this quote, Teachers on Fire. It's from a book called Intention, Critical Creativity in the Classroom. And it's written by Dan Ryder, former guest of Teachers on Fire. You'll find him on Twitter at Wicked Decent. And co-authored by Amy Burval, at Amy Burval on Twitter. And their quote, the quote I selected, reads this way. Critical creativity thrives when students feel empowered to make meaningful choices, to apply their experience and knowledge, to be trusted with their own success, and to struggle. Just think about those action words. Making meaningful choices, applying experience and knowledge, trusted with their own success, and struggle. Such a great quote. Love it. And again, that's from a book called Intention, Critical Creativity in the Classroom. 
Well, again, Teachers on Fire, I'm your host, Tim Cavey, and I'm so grateful that you decided to spend some of your day listening to this podcast. I hope that in some way the content and ideas you heard today from Lisa Johnson ignited your thinking and inspired your practice. And I'll meet you next week right here on the Teachers on Fire podcast. Take care and have a great week.